everybody, and welcome to the show. Today, we're talking with Angela Reed, who's covered some really famous people, including Jane Atkinson, Frances McDormand, and Lori Metcalf. And she'll tell us all about what it's like to cater at the same time you're working on Broadway. But before we get there, if you haven't listened to the introductory episode, please take a second to do that now. And I also wanted to send a special thank you to our listeners out there. For those of you who have subscribed and left reviews, I really appreciate it. All right, places for top of show. Angela Reed has covered for some of the biggest names in the business. In The Rainmaker, she covered Jane Atkinson, who played opposite Woody Harrelson. In 2008, she covered Frances McDormand in The Country Girl, going on opposite Morgan Freeman. And later, in 2017, she covered Lori Metcalf, who won the Tony for her interpretation of the role of Nora in A Doll's House Part 2. Her regional credits are mind-blowing. She's done the National Tour of Warhorse and Spring Awakening, and she currently plays Ginny in San Francisco's production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And full disclosure, I've known Angie for a really long time, and we actually covered the same show, The Country Girl, back in 2008. So hey, old friend, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So I always like to start out asking if you could tell us a very truncated version of where you're from and sort of how you broke into Broadway. I, uh, I grew up in Colorado, and um, I guess the short story is that I, I played a lot of sports in high school, and then I eventually just kind of kept dropping one sport after another to do more theater, to do another play. And um, it really is all due to my high school theater teacher, Sally Smith. So I went from uh, plays in high school to, uh, I went to the University of Colorado, where I got my BFA. Then I went to UC San Diego, got my MFA, moved to New York, have lived there for 25 years. And and um, just, you know, one audition led to another. And uh, I've doing you know been doing mostly regional theater. But um, when I'm in New York, it has often been standing by for very famous people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today. So you and I first met when we were both under studying for the play The Country Girl, directed by Mike Nichols. And I was wondering if we could just take a little stroll down memory lane, and maybe you could talk to us about your experience, like what that was like, and not only what it was like to cover Frances McDormand specifically, but just sort of what the understudy experience for that particular show was like. Well, it was pretty awesome overall. It was a great job. One of the highlights of that job was getting the job because yes. I was lucky enough to audition. I'm sure you did too, right? At theater where Spamalot was running. What theater was that? Um, Schubert, maybe. I think it was a Schubert. And Mike wanted to have auditions there at the theater. So it's very rare that you, as you know, like you would audition on a Broadway stage for a Broadway show with Mike Nichols in the audience. So um, I remember um, I read for him, I finished, and he said, well, you're wonderful. Do you want the part? <laughs> oh, fabulous. And I said, well, yes, I do. But I will have to, you know, talk to my people. Um, we <laughs> joked and laughed, and I, I felt this, like, just instant. I'm sure everybody says this about Mike Nichols because he's, he was so warm and funny and very flirtatious with everyone. That was just his personality. And I just felt immediately connected to him and I wanted to be in the room with him. And that was the best part of that job was just being in the rehearsal room. We got to observe from the very beginning and it was just a pleasure, really like a pleasure to watch the process and to listen to his stories and I got to sit there and watch Mike Nichols talk to Frances McDormand. 
Ireland and Peter Gallagher and Morgan Freeman. And they would just tell stories, all of them. And, and Mike, especially, that's what he loved, I think, most about directing was being able to just talk to actors and laugh and tell stories. And he connected to people in that way. Yeah. Now, I remember being, you know, sitting down in our chair and really having to do most of the understudy stuff on our own until maybe they were into previews, which I would say is fairly common in the industry where we would then get up on our feet. Does that uh, sound right to you? Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, You really have to observe, like be really an intense observer of the dynamics and, and the specifics, you know, not of the staging, everything, so that if and when you go on, you could just kind of slip in. I think that is the key that you, yes, you want to make it your own. You don't want to do a, an imitation of anyone. Um, that's just not going to be, you know, honest and um, believable. Ultimately, you have to bring yourself to it. But I think your job is to slip into the energy of what has already been created and to be as I don't know, you you just don't want to disrupt what has been, you know, already established. So um, you have to be a really good observer, because like you said, you're not going to get a chance to really get up there and do it for a while. So for sure. And I have to ask, because her role was playing opposite Morgan Freeman, did you have any thoughts about that? Like, were you a fan of his? Did it make you nervous knowing that, hey, if I go on, I'm going to be I'm going to be acting opposite this huge movie star? Or did that come into your mind at all? Um, no, I was not a fan at all of his. No, I'm kidding. Who's no, <laughs> not a fan? Um, I think, you know, again, what was so helpful for all of us was being in the room from the beginning so that we could start to see everyone as individuals in this play. And, you know, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Frances McDormand's as well, just, but I was able to see her as you know, Georgie in the, in this part, in this play. And I think that's how I started to feel about, you know, watching Morgan, he, he became less Morgan Freeman, you know, movie star and more working actor, you know? I mean, we really got to see them as working actors doing what we do. And so it demystified that a little bit. So by the time I went on, I wasn't, just wasn't thinking of him in that same way. I mean, he is so charismatic and he, you never forget, you know, from the moment he walked out on stage, you know, the audience just went nuts because it's, you know, everybody knows him and that voice. And, but I think that's part of our job is to, you know, see him as Frank, see him as my husband, see that, you know, try to establish a history with this person outside of, you know, the mystique of oh, Morgan Freeman, you know, the one time that I did get to go on, they were all so lovely and supportive. And um, yeah, it just made the experience so rich. Yeah. So have there been shows as a cover where you do come in later and in the process? Can you talk about that and how that was different? I mean, I think that was my experience with the Rainmaker. I mean, it was so, so long ago and I never did go on for it. Um, but I don't remember being there early in the process. I feel mm-hmm. like we were hired a little bit later and I think I very much felt like kind of on the outside of it, you know, very much an observer, not someone sitting at the table. Yeah. And there's something to be said for when you're in there early in the process for just feeling like you belong as a part of yeah. the company. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is huge. Yeah. Yeah. It just creates a whole dynamic within the building that it's not us and them, you know, I mean, you, you, I, I kind of inevitably feel that way, you know, I mean, but it's, it helps tremendously if everyone is included from the beginning. Yeah. 
And so what was the process on A Doll's House Part 2? Did they do that where they included you in the beginning or did you come in later in the process? Yeah, again, it was at the very beginning. We were rehearsing um, downtown um, for actors, the four understudies and um, Sam Gold and the designers and just uh, also felt very intimate being on the inside of any changes that were made, discussions about how to get from here to there. It was just incredibly helpful. That's so nice because sometimes, as we both know, like the understudies can feel a little bit like an afterthought and you're not necessarily included or privy to perhaps maybe those conversations about character arc and things like that when they're when the director might be talking to a principal. But being an understudy, it's so helpful to be in the room for all of that stuff because ultimately, right, we're responsible for kind of being able to fill in those blanks as well. Yeah, incredibly helpful. It really, really is. And it it just serves everyone. You know, in the event someone has to go on, you want them to know all that information. And surely, you know, there are conversations going on between the actors and the directors and the playwrights that we're not privy to, obviously. But as much as we can kind of, you know, be the fly on the wall and just soak it all in, the more helpful it's going to be for everybody in the event you have to to jump in at the last second, especially. Did you ever go on for Lori? No. And frankly, I knew I, <laughs> I just knew I wouldn't. I, she, I, I used to joke that, you know, she never left the stage. So, you know, once she was on, she was on. And in fact, you know, I would, I would leave, you know, probably 20, 30 minutes into the show. Cause I thought, well, we kind of all agreed, you know, once she's on the stage, there's nothing. <laughs> you got, if she falls and breaks her hip, she will drag herself through the end of the show and everyone will pitch in. And I I just knew that about her so clearly. So um, yeah, they call that sometimes the zombie apocalypse cover, right? (laughs) Like like, never going to happen. Can you tell me about the night that Lori Medcalf won the Tony? Were you guys watching as a cast? How did that go down? I don't even remember. (laughs) I will say, and this is very funny, the night of the Tonys when I was covering um, Jane Atkinson in The Rainmaker, I was catering a party and it was a Tony party. And I was wearing a, you know, shirt and tie and jacket and I was passing around shrimp. No, no. We're getting ready to go to the Tonys or to watch the Tonys. And I was, and she was nominated. And I kept thinking, I am understudying a Tony nominee who may win tonight. And I am passing around hors d'oeuvres. And people around me were talking about, you know, Jane and her performance and who was going to win this or who was going to win that. And they were talking about the Rainmaker. And I just stood there and said, Shrimp. Oh my God, you're blowing my mind right now. Yeah. I, you know, please dig out a picture of you catering, please. Oh my gosh. Oh, I have an even better. Oh my God. This is, this is the brilliant backstory, uh, uh, other secret story that is so good when I was covering Jane. So, you know, it was the roundabout. It was the, hmm, I don't know, late nineties, I think. And um, I wasn't making a ton of money and I did not have to be at the theater because at the time you could call in at half hour. So you called in, this is before cell phones. I mean, I, it was Christmas time and I was working all these parties because I was like, well, I don't have to be at the theater. I might as well make money on top of money because, you know, why not? 
Yeah. I'm within 15 minutes. If I need to be there, I just hop in a cab and I go and I leave the party that I'm working and I go play a lead on Broadway. Amazing. You know, like how you do. Uh-huh. Like you do. So I worked all these parties and one party in particular was at the home of Fred Ebb. And I think it was a, you know, Christmas party. It was like, you know, mid-December. I mean, Liza Minnelli was there, all these directors, these actors. Mm. It was an unbelievable crowd. Mm. And his apartment was on the Upper West Side, I think. It had swinging doors in and out of the kitchen. There was one on two different walls. So you'd swing out one, go, you know, run around with your hors d'oeuvres, come in the other side. And I headed out with a tray of hors d'oeuvres early in the evening. And who's coming in the door right outside the swinging door? But Scott Ellis, who is the director of The Rainmaker. my God. (laughs) He's the director. I'm covering his lead actress and I am passing around hors d'oeuvres at a party at Fred Ebb's. I wanted, I just flipped. I thought he can't see me like this. He can't see me like this. I always say that if it happened today, if I were in that circumstance, I would have just gone right up to him and said, well, if the man yeah. not paid better, I wouldn't have to do this. You know, that's right. That's right. But at the time I didn't have that kind of, you know, sense of self. And I was just mortified. So I came right back into the kitchen and I said, I can't be on the floor tonight. I can't, I can't do this. So you can either send me home or you can keep me in the kitchen and, um, you know, I will wash dishes. And it was a small company I worked for. They were lovely. They were like, okay, no problem. No problem. Just stay in the kitchen. So I stayed in the kitchen all night and I prepped and I washed dishes and and I thought I made it all night long. I made it. I even went back into the maid's room to call in at half hour, you know, while Scott Ellis was out in the other room to make sure that they... Jane was at the show. At one point, he came in to drop off his little plate or something. Oh, no. Nobody came into the kitchen, but he was being so, you know, courteous. He came to drop off his little hors d'oeuvre plate. And I see him out of the corner of my eye and I like race into the back, into the maid's room. I'm like, I can't see him. I can't see him. So I make it through the whole night. At the end of the evening, I walk out the door to help everybody clean up. And the front door to the apartment's open and the elevator is right there. And the last guest who I look over and see make full eye contact with is Scott. <laughs> oh no. Oh my God. We, and honestly, I, I did not know, like, did he know it was me? Because out of context, you know, I mean, he, right. You're not right. Expecting this, you know? Yeah. So I never knew. Did he know that that was me at that party? We never talked about it. I was going to say, did he ever bring it up? He never, he never talked about it. About nothing. It. Cut to, I don't know, 18 years later, I'm doing Harry Potter and Scott's husband, Scott, also Scott, is in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And he has people over at his apartment. (laughs) Let me go to his apartment and I get to tell Scott Ellis this story. I love this. years later, whatever it is. And I said, did you ever see me at this party at (laughs) Ed's house? And I was hiding from you because you were, you know, I was covering (laughs) Jane. He was like, no. I said, really? Because I have been holding on to this for 18 years. (laughs) I was sure that you saw me passing hors d'oeuvres at this party. And I hid from you in the kitchen the entire night. And he thought it was the most hilarious, the most amazing story. 
And we got to talk about it two decades later. Amazing. And let me just tell all of our listeners out there that, yes, it is hard to make a living as an artist (laughs) in New York City. It still is. I'm just going to say you need those odd jobs. You need those catering jobs. That's a whole other podcast we could do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. About actors. Oh, I could lead that podcast. I got all sorts of tips for that. Yeah. But can you speak to what it's like to cover a celebrity, like to be in that position where there you are, the understudy, and you think in your mind, okay, wait a second, this is who the audience is coming to see. Yeah. Like, this is a big deal when they have a, a big name like that. And and yeah. just what does that feel like? Um, well, the only time I can really speak to it is when I did go on for Francis. It was a Sunday matinee. And I thought, you know, there's that announcement for the show. <laughs> Today's performance of George <laughs> will be played by, normally played by Francis McDormand, <laughs> will be played by the lesser known Angela Reed. <laughs> and you expect to hear the groans in the audience and people, you know, shuffling to get to the aisle to <laughs> get to the box office and, you know, get a refund. And, um I mean, that certainly is the the fear that you have backstage getting ready to go on when that announcement is made. You think, oh boy, I got an uphill battle here for the people who've stayed. You know, I have to prove myself. And, um, you know, I think there, there certainly probably was some of that clamoring for the box office. But I think what is challenging and ultimately pretty rewarding is, you know, your hopefully ability to jump in and to let them know early on, no, I've got this, like you're in really good hands and no, you're Mm. not going to see her, but you're going to see something else. You're the only audience potentially that's ever going to see this performance. And I'm going to make it a good one. And I'm going to light a fire, hopefully under everybody else in the show, because it does kind of, you know, energize everybody else who's on because they, they don't know how this is going to go. And so it can actually be a really, really rewarding experience for everybody. And I think it was that day. It felt very electric. And I, you know, I was prepared. I was ready. I wasn't even that particularly nervous. I just thought, yeah, let's do this. And it was fun. You know, I had a really good time with Peter and Morgan and the cast. And so I think there is always the fear of, oh boy, the audience is going to hate this. But (laughs) your job is to just is to do the job, do the play and hope that they will come along for the ride. And I felt like they did. I remember that day and you're right. There's something to be said when an understudy goes on, it kind of puts everybody on high alert, Oh, right? So even those principals who have perhaps never done those scenes with you before, suddenly they are really present and they are really listening. And that can really light a fire and energize the show in a new way where you get something spectacular. Absolutely. If everybody's open to it, you know, it can be just really dynamic and exciting. And, um, you know, unfortunately I was in a situation where people were just embracing of me and, um, and I think it was a good show. So let's, let's get into the nitty gritty about the how to what's, what's your process because everybody has a different way of, you know, covering roles and keeping binders and highlighting things. Like, can you talk to us about what your process is not only for just learning the lines and the blocking on your own, but that sort of backstage choreography, like what are some of the tricks of the trade or tips that you would give to maybe another understudy who hadn't done the job before? I, you know, I am, I have to say, I'm not one of those people who keeps, you know, detailed notes. Um, I really, really love to observe. I just want to observe. I want to soak it in. I want to listen to every conversation I have, you know, between the director and uh, the actor uncovering so that I can feel like I'm on the inside and I'm not just, um, you know, kind of creating something on my own. But I most recently covered, um, you know, several roles in uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on Broadway. And 
the key to that is definitely, you know, separating out those sections from the script and maybe using a different highlighter color and just trying to keep track of, you know, the nuts and bolts of, you know, four different tracks. That is much more complicated, obviously, than, um, you know, covering one role. But I just, I wouldn't say, you know, I sometimes work with understudies, yes, that have, you know, a full array of highlighter colors and pencils and colored pencils, and they have this whole system. And um, I don't do that. I, I just like to learn the lines, learn the blocking, and just be as you know, observant as I can be of the details. Of so you soak it up like a sponge. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I like to do it. You know, I want to get up on my feet as quickly as possible. Running lines with uh, the other actors is key. You know, I think just like getting the lines down, getting th that because that's easy stuff. The lines are the easy stuff. I think, you know, just get those under your belt so that if you go on, that's not what you're thinking about. You know, you're not wondering, oh, what do I say next? What's because you'll just, that'll do you in. You've got too much to think about. So let the lines, you know, just get those under your belt and then observe, you know, know, is the cross here or do you move here? Does the chair get moved here? And then because that is what is going to affect, you know, a large production, especially like Harry Potter, you need to know very specifically what the track, you know, how it keeps the show running like a smooth machine. You know, you yeah. don't want to be one that interrupts anything. So sure. Cause it's a huge show. I mean, it's, it's musical-esque in its way and its yeah. scope and its breadth and where everybody has a place to be. And it is like a fine tuned machine. We had the great pleasure of interviewing Rachel Leslie. And I hope you guys will also oh, hear yeah that episode because she is awesome and she talks about um, what it's like to currently be a cover on Broadway for Harry Potter as well and just kind of learning those tracks and you know the wig fittings and where you go backstage and all that choreography simply yeah. so that you're not in the way yes the backstage traffic for Harry Potter is it could be deadly if you don't know <laughs> I mean quite literally um it is a dance it is a choreographed dance backstage as much as it is on stage and that is the stuff that you need to get under your belt because again getting on stage where there are you know two three people you know you say a few lines you get off that's manageable backstage you could get killed you know just <laughs> running from one place to another so so is there anything that you've learned I guess specifically about being a cover and an understudy that you take with you now when you're actually the principal role yourself? Uh, well, definitely. I mean, I'm in a very unique situation now because playing Ginny in the company here in San Francisco, after having covered in New York, three very complicated tracks for a year and a half, one of the things I take with me, and I hope that it's I don't know, at least appreciated. And um, I don't know, I hope the rest of the company realizes that I know what they're going through, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It is a very difficult thing to do to cover in this show. You know, once the show's up and running, you don't end rehearsals. You rehearse all day long. There are multiple covers for each part. They want to tech those rehearsals eventually. So everyone gets a chance to, to tech it before they go on. And then you're coming in at night and doing the show. So I understand really, really, understand what they're going through. And I think because there are, there were several of us from the New York company that came out here to San Francisco uh, initially in uh, pre-pandemic times, and we had all been covers at one point or another. And I think it made for a much more cohesive company. There, again, as we were saying before, that kind of like us and them, 
we don't, I don't think we have that here because we all know what it's like. We've all been there and it's very much a united company. We are all on the same team. Yeah. And a complete respect for all of those swings and covers and understudies, like you said, because you've been there and you know how hard they are working. Yep. I really, really do. I do. It's, it's challenging. So I want to ask, I just want to speak to, you know, maybe some of the equity rules because you've been in the business a long time. And I was just wondering if you had an opinion about, you know, how many roles one person should be asked to cover. I know that it's really difficult from a production standpoint, um, but, you know, having been asked to cover nine roles once uh, for Lincoln Center, I just thought, man, this might this might be too much for one person to handle. Do you have any thoughts about that? You know, I don't know that I have specific thoughts about it because, you know, it's different for everybody. And I know that there are, you know, rules in place. And I do, in fact, think that it's changed um, post-pandemic. Uh Oh, I feel like something has changed in our company where it's now limited. Um, mm. I think that really might have changed. And it, it was kind of due to, you know, this break that we all had that everybody said, okay, now wait a minute, you know, we're all killing ourselves. And for what? Oh, that's interesting. Cause I, I will look into it on my own, but then also um, we're going to have some great substitute stage managers interviewed on the show okay. as well. So they're going to be able to tell me all of those equity rules, sort of what's in place and what might be on the horizon, if anything, in terms of changing, because I would be curious to see how this evolves. And that's part of the podcast too, is just kind of bringing awareness and attention to how hard people are working and just kind of what those rules are and what we're asking of them just to kind of have a bigger conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So last but not least, we like to offer our listeners a little bit of behind the scenes content. I don't know if you've had a chance to give a think about what you might want to offer on our website. If you go to www.waitinginthewingsbroadway.com and you become a, a patron and subscribe, you get access to some awesome behind the scenes content for each of our guests. So Angie, do you have an idea what you might be able to throw out there and offer some of our listeners? Um, well, I can offer a couple different things. And in a way, I guess I'll let you decide because one could be about my uh, different experiences going on. The other is something that has just recently developed. Um, I have been asked to play Ginny in the Broadway production. And so <gasps> my journey with this show- Congratulations. Thank you. Has taken many, many, many different turns. And um, so starting out as a cover um, uh, for- and a half years ago, four years ago, moved to San Francisco twice. I am now, uh, it's kind of full circle. I'm going back to New York and I start um, performances May 1st as Ginny on Broadway. Oh, Angie, that is so exciting. Congratulations. You deserve it so much. And I will make sure that I come and say hello because I haven't seen you in ages. And it would I know, be wonderful. That would be awesome. So Angie, you've been such a good sport and a fantastic guest. And congratulations on playing Jenny soon here in New York City. We wish you all the best, my friend. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Hey guys, Amanda here. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit the website www.waitinginthewingsbroadway.com and unlock some of that awesome behind the scenes content. Thanks.